The following contains language of a frank and explicit nature. Another shocking twist! This program contains material that may be disturbing. I knew Monday back in the early 80s. You ever think about doing radio? You'd like that, wouldn't you? Showtime. An attack on a local Republican headquarters in North Carolina. According to state GOP officials, the explosion caused major damage inside the Hillsboro, North Carolina office. Outside, a threat was scrawled on a building nearby, saying Nazi Republicans leave town or else. Battleground tracker poll shows Hillary Clinton with momentum in places that may decide the election. Now a six-point lead in battleground states. Women voters the reason. Her support is up ten points in those states. More emails damaging the Clinton campaign have been released by WikiLeaks. Former acting CIA director Mike Morell, a Hillary Clinton supporter, says he's worried about the alleged involvement of the Russians in throwing the election for Donald Trump. I cannot remember a single time in American history where the American government has accused another government of trying to interfere in our election. The former acting CIA director was quoting the intelligence community, which has said the Russians are trying to disrupt the U.S. election. Pope Francis has canonized seven new saints. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. <laughs> WPHlive.tv presents the Dave and Dave Sports Radiocast. Number 3,000 reach your own. On TuneIn Radio. Welcome to the Dave and Dave Handball Sports Radio Cast from the WPH Studios, Tucson, Arizona. This is episode 10. Hall of Fame player John Bike is here. We will chat with him about the U.S. Open, his family, and why he's in town in just a few minutes. We'll forecast a Simple Green U.S. Open event coming up at the end of the week. No Paul Brady in the men's four wall, so it appears that the field is wide open. Huge rivalry between... Ashleen Riley and Katrina Casey with Martina McMahon knocking on the door. Meanwhile, Samson Hernandez states that if he wins the big ball three-wall portion of the event, his coveted Simple Green Cup will be placed into the WPH Man Cave down the hall. The gesture is great, but Juan Santos is a man on fire. Timothy Gonzalez, Taiwan Cook headline the men's one-wall gig. Sandy Ng, Danielle Daskalakis, Jenny Q are topping the press for the women's one-wall portion and... Back uh, indoors, it's the return of Nadia Alvarado to the 40s, where Marco Chavez has been dominating. We will discuss it, plus ESPN, the two-channel coverage in and out at the U.S. Open. Uh, and we'll do that in a matter of moments. We will also give you the celebrity birthday, stand-up hilarity, and some headlines. But before we get to all of that, the man of the hour, David Fink, has sports. Wow, thanks, Dave. Yep. Ronda Rousey has not been in the octagon since she got knocked out by Holly Holm almost a year ago. There were people who thought she'd lost her mojo and may never come back. Well, they were wrong. Ronda will fight for the title that Holly took from her at UFC 207 on December 30th. She will not be fighting Holly, though. She'll be fighting Misha Tate in her first attempt to defend it. I I told my daughter this the other night. She's really into MMA. I said, when is Rhonda going to fight again? Already knowing the answer I did, mm-hmm. right? My daughter says, no, oh, she's retired. She's out. I said, how can you follow MMA and be so much into this sport? She goes three, four nights a week down to practice. Mm-hmm. She calls it boxing, but it's really MMA. Right. And yet not even know the news about Ronda Rousey. I said, it's my homepage. And everybody in the house looked at me and said, you're, you're a perv. Well, I don't disagree with your daughter here because a lot of times in fighting, you hear these fights set up. And then they just fall through. And I would not be surprised to see Ronda Rousey not fight. It is against Amanda Nunes. Dave, I misspoke. Amanda Nunes defeated Misha Tate. So that title has been changing hands back and forth since Ronda was knocked out in Australia a year ago. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Ronda Rousey pull out of that fight, much like we saw Tiger Woods pull out of the Safeway Open this week. And we'll get to that in just a bit. Well, yeah, he pulled out. Partly because he's not confident in his game, but mostly because Safeway Open isn't a skanky Denny's waitress. That might be another reason why. Well, I'll tell you, Dave, in golf, if you've ever had the chip yips, no one's ever come back from it. Tiger's got the chip yips, the driver yips, for sure, and possibly the putting yips. And I'll tell you, nobody has ever come back from any one of those three. He's got all three. There's no anchoring anymore on the putting. I don't know what he can do about that, but the driver yips and the... And the chip, I mean, it's it's pretty much over for him. That's a lot of yipping. And and not to mention, he looks like he could be playing linebacker right now in the NFL. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I saw him next to Paulina Gretzky, who's about, I don't know, 84 pounds. But he was four times her size. I mean, he looks huge. I've never seen a golfer outside of these long drive champions. I know you watch that. 
tournament the last couple nights. 427 yards for the winner. Pretty amazing. <laughs> and that's not even a record, is it? I've never it sounds like it. It should be. It, it should be a record. I mean, really unbelievable. We got off Ronda Rousey a little bit there for a second, Dave, but if Ronda Rousey wins that fight against Amanda Nunes, the UFC will try and set up the super fight that they've wanted for years, which is Rousey versus the certified beast Chris Cyborg. Of course, they've had disagreements over the weight. I believe Cyborg is a 145-pound fighter. She can't squeeze down any lower. Ronda Rousey, a bantamweight, 135, so they'll have to figure out a way to to meet in the middle. But I don't think Cyborg can even get down to 140, so I think that might be all hot air, just like this fight very well could be at UFC 207. We'll see, though. Speaking of ultimate fighting, Demi Lovato is training in MMA with Jay Glazer and says she's legit. Now, is Jay just hyping that up? Because that's what Jay does, or is she legit? Because I, if I'd like to see Demi Lovato get her a kicked. Well, I mean, in defense of CM Punk, no one thought he was legit, and he got blasted in just about a half a round in his only fight. But you know, Greg Hardy also now looking to get an MMA now that he's been blackballed from the NFL. So a lot of people thinking, well, this could be my next career. Well, probably it won't be actually. <laughs> well, you know, they still drug test. In MMA, so I don't know how Hardy is going to do. I, I'm, I guess maybe he wasn't really a guy that had substance abuse. He just had abuse problems. I think he had both. Yeah, oh, substance okay. and domestic, and any other kind of abuse that you could think of. Oh, they're pretty tough in the in UFC when it comes to drug testing. Um, maybe in the last month, but <laughs> hasn't been the case throughout the history of that organization. It's widely known that that was a lot of the fighters just sort of living off of that those enhancements but we're gonna focus dave on the list of best sports villains this might surprise you dave tom brady is featured on that list is he really a villain though well hey i, I didn't write the list just reporting on it while tom brady's deflate gate scandal was a little conniving he usually does come across as a pretty boy who loves his own image that says whether you like him or not he's an absolute legend in new england four super bowl rings will do that USAToday.com best villains list isn't ranked, so we don't know where Brady is in their top 21. However, the other highlights include Brady's coach, Bill Belichick. I can see that. For all the reasons that Tom Brady isn't your traditional villain, Belichick definitely is. Seems like he'll just do anything to get an edge. Always seems to be lurking in the dark. We could list all the villainous things he's done, but... There's probably so many more that we've ne not discovered. That's true. I we mean, know about Spygate, you know, filming the Jets right. and, and other teams. Do they have on this list the every college coach? In <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about skeletons in closets. But, you know, football coaches are kind of curmudgeons starting at every level. It's just kind of part of the personality. Belichick maybe a little bit more so than the rest, but, you know, you look at these guys and they get a – a contract for $30 million, and they're still scowling. That's true. Who else is on the list besides Belichick and Brady? Nick Kyrgios, the oh, so-called well. bad boy of tennis who, I mean, I don't know if you'd want to call it a retirement, a mid-match retirement, but just really stopped playing. He's just completely nuts, that guy. It's it's really terrible. It's it's, I watch him just because it's just comedy. I mean, I need that comedy break in between uh, Serena faking an injury and, yeah. and the next round. But Kyrgios goes from beating a top 15 player in an amazing final the week before. Three days later, he's giving up against a guy who's ranked number 111. But didn't he get fined like 60000 or something? Only 16000 16000 okay. He made three times that just for winning one match in that same tournament. He was on double secret fake probation last year for telling fans, you know, giving various gestures and, <laughs> and, and other insults. But not sure what's going to happen with him because... Hard to enforce a no-effort rule. He can say, well, you know, I thought by projecting that image, you know, this is what his advisors could say, that that would be a good strategy for me. What I was doing wasn't working, so I thought, well, I'll play possum. How yeah. can you really enforce it? Gal Malfis did it at the U.S. Open against Djokovic after getting rolled in the first set. Start having some success. Now, you love tennis, so is this one of those things where you just say, I, I can't stand this guy? Or are you like me where you say, I can't wait to watch him because I anything could happen? He's one of these dudes where... 
I believe, just from my standpoint as a pure fan, I don't know much about tennis, but as a fan, I say that I think that he has all the tools in the world to be number one, yeah. except for what's going on in his head, which seems to be a complete train wreck. It's, it's a does complete, he have the tools? Is he a natural? He, he does have the tools. I mean, we've seen him beat Federer, Nadal, all the top but guys. But he's serving he's underhand. Down. He's flipping <laughs> balls in like you're just not even sparring. I, I don't even know what's going At through his head. At one point, he walked to his chair before his opponent's serve even crossed the net. Well, he also told his opponent one time that his girlfriend was right. sleeping with another tennis player. I mean, A friend of his. Yeah. yeah. In the middle of the rally. Right. <laughs> I mean, this guy is completely nuts. Yeah, he's uh, he he doesn't have any coach, so he he doesn't really have anyone in his ear that he respects. And anytime someone does try and say something, he tells him, "Well, you're not on tour. What do you know?" Yeah. Well, I think the person knows that you're not supposed to serve underhand. I mean, I don't think you need to be on tour yeah. to know that. I think he just doesn't care. Moving down the list, Floyd Money Mayweather. Uh, he should be number one, right? The list should be named after him. When you talk about sports villains, just terrible. Yeah, I don't. I, can I mean, him. there's a part of his image that he's crafted in order to sell his pay-per-views, but then there's another part that's actually real True. things that he's done, right. That are just reprehensible. And yeah. it's Meta World Peace, who wasn't about peace when his name was Ron Artest, and he ignited that malice at the Palace Brawl 12 years ago. Of course, he went after a guy that was about five foot five when it was a guy that was about six five that threw the ice at him. Yeah, and I'm surprised his name's on the list anyway. Just Actually, because I, I was unclear that he was even still in the league, but I guess he is sitting on a bench. But he's yeah, not I, with L.A. anymore. I, I, I just I'm saw not, his name the other day on a roster. Okay. I should remember it, but I don't. thought it was L.A., but he might not be there in L.A. Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. I can see that. Pat Riley. Kind of surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh. One Villain? of the 21. Hmm. Entertaining cartoon character, yeah. I don't know about villain, maybe villain. How much of Jim Harbaugh's act is kind of put on for the show, and how much of that is uh, real? I, I think he's nuts, so mm -hmm. I think uh, a lot of it's real. Well, you saw that inside sports on HBO, they did a story, and he grew up with no friends and really couldn't even get along with his family. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think that's kind of his personality. Bryce Harper, yeah, who definitely claims on the list. he's just trying to make baseball fun again. You have to say, Dave, I know you agreed with him on the list, but. When he comes up to bat, you stop what you're doing. Yeah, he transcends. More so in his rookie year, I think. Catcher A.J. Pruszynski. Yeah, not liked. Loved by his teammates, not liked. Still or, or in friendly. the league? Yeah, he just late. Wow. Yeah. British boxer Tyson Fury, who, of course, about 10 months ago defeated Vladimir Klitschko and became the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world and since then has just sort of fallen off the reservation. The tr the wheels have come off completely for Tyson Fury. Hmm. He's one of these guys, Dave, that yeah, he insults every possible demographic. Jewish people, gay people, every type of person, and that he doesn't understand why people don't like him. And now he's boasted about how much cocaine he's done and drinking and non-training. Has he endorsed, two fights. endorsed Trump yet? I mean, sounds like he's on that path. Well, just goes to show you how many people are like that when you have Trump supporters out there. Speaking of Trump supporters, 21 of 21 white NFL players polled will vote for Trump. I guess experts call it more proof that football causes brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> I read that stat, too. Yeah. A new poll found that 62% of fans in Ohio think the Ohio State Buckeyes could beat the Cleveland Browns. Well, the Buckeyes should beat the Browns. I mean since they're paid a little bit more. Um, <laughs> not a big Buckeye fan, but... Marion Jones turned 41 today. Of course, the track and field athlete who admitted steroid injections. She returned the five medals she won at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. She was cute. Jerry Rice turned 54, NFL legend and undisputed best wide receiver in the history of the league. Right. I heard Nancy Kerrigan turned 47. She was in the Olympics. You remember her with the Tanya Harding thing? Of course. And she, Probably the most famous Olympian, right? I mean, they're I mean, certainly the most famous Olympians that have been linked together. Ice skater, yeah. She uh, once wanted to be an Olympic gold medalist, but that turned out to be just a, a, a pipe dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Is it too soon for... 
Tim Tebow saved a man suffering from seizures by touching him and praying. That was in Glendale, Arizona, right up the road here at the Arizona Fall League. Just seems like no matter what Tebow does, he went 0 for 3 that day, barely even touched the ball, and yet the story is still about him. He's now the hero. It's unbelievable how he can get a headline. He uh, he touches a guy and prays over him, and the guy starts breathing again. He's just like Jesus, except Jesus could actually complete a pass. <laughs> Unfortunately for Mets fans, he couldn't do it for the whole nine guys on the field at the time. Our ESPN colleague, Dave, Keith Law, who's the head baseball scout for ESPN, had some some evaluations of Tim Tebow stated, and I'm paraphrasing here, what is he doing here? He's the worst player I've ever seen in the fall league. He doesn't deserve a spot here. He can't even turn on a 90-mile-per-hour fastball. He can't run. He has no arm. Why is he here? He won't last a full season in low A ball. That's really bad. So you think his career is over in baseball? Oh, did it really start? Well, it kind of did. He's selling jerseys. I guess so. That's why the Mets picked him up, I'm sure. what level do you have to make it in baseball to call it a career? Double A? I don't. I, I'd say just having a contract. So if you're supporting yourself through baseball, that would be considered a career. I guess so. I don't know I what mean, it, if you played in low A ball and you're basically you're making three hundred dollars a month and staying with the family in well, the area. Is you're that a, a career. You're a pro handball player. So when did you call it pro? When you qualified for the first time, or I don't know if I use the word career. <laughs> I'm just asking. I I mean, I don't know the answer to that. We have more coming up (laughs) right around the corner. It's the Sports Radio cast here with Dave and Dave. We have John Bike in the hallway now, and we're going to chat with him in just a few and interview with the great legendary John right around the corner as we talk about the U.S. Open and so much more. Stick with us on the radio cast. Born on a summer day. Tune in radio has another edition of the Dave and Dave radio cast. Check us out at WPHlive.tv. The WPH $200,000 Race for Eight Professional Handball Tour is back. Top handball players, qualifiers, senior 40-plus men, and women's elite will participate alongside amateurs, age division, juniors, and skill-level players at multiple stops beginning in October of 2016, running through April of 17. From the Simple Green U.S. Open of Handball through Salt Lake City's Players' Championship, the WPH Live TV film crew will be airing matches on ESPN3 and the Watch ESPN app with hopes you come out and play or help promote this amazing game by sharing each event's broadcast schedule. To gather the full schedule, go to www.wphlive.tv. Come join the WPH on the courts this season. Whether it's live filming, the Race for Eight professional tour, junior handball development, coaching and mentoring, or event planning, the World Players of Handball has you covered. The WPH Live TV crew is sinking the time, effort, and energy into growing the game of handball on a grassroots level with a focus on mass media attention. Since 2014, the WPH has aired over 20 tournaments on ESPN, and the upcoming season will also be filmed on the network. Junior WPH is flourishing as the WPH has a full-time development director and coach on staff and a department of instructors that will train, mentor, teach, and introduce handball to over 5,000 new recruits and junior athletes before year's end. Thank you for assisting the group that sees a very bright future for the game of handball. Without your donations and membership support, the WPH would not be where they are today. The WPH is a 501 C3 Nonprofit Foundation. Please encourage others in your area to support, donate, volunteer, and give. Visit the WPH website at WPHlive.tv or go to thehandballstore.com to purchase your Players Card membership. It's the radio cast with hosts Dave Vincent and Dave Fink at WPHlive.tv. It is episode 10 as we have a national champion. About 17 times removed or more in the studio with us, Hall of Famer, John Bike. John, hello. Dave, it's great to be here. Just straight off the road, seven-hour drive just for the show, and let's, let's, let's make it work. I mean, I mean, seven hours just for the radio show is a big deal. And, but the bigger deal is how bad did I hash that 17-time-plus national champion list? You've won it probably like 27 times or more. It's somewhere between those two numbers, I believe. But, anyway. but, but enough, about, enough about me. 
<laughs> I mean, you drove all this way. We should probably talk about you. Let's look at the headlines, and we're going to talk about other things going on in your life. Nancy Gray stormed out of an interview when the host accused her of profiting off of other people's tragedies. She didn't leave because she was mad, though. She heard an ambulance outside and instantly had to chase it. <laughs> Michael Jackson topped Forbes' 2016 list of top-earning dead celebrities. Tupac would have topped the list but was ineligible due to not being dead. <laughs> Paris Hilton bought a teacup chihuahua for $8,000. Do you guys read that in the headlines or I watch that in the news? I didn't, no. Because it lacks the in in intellect to do much more than hump things, she's actually named it Paris Hilton. <laughs> In case you're wondering what the name's going to be. A Texas man faked a kidnapping so he can get away from his wife and go party with his friends. The man's been arrested and charged with one count of being my idol. A new study shows playing Pokemon Go could extend your life, though if you're spending your time hunched over a cell phone playing a game designed for eight-year-olds, do you technically have a life? That's the bigger question. Miley Cyrus says that when she was younger, she didn't understand her sexuality or her gender. Miley says that she is a pansexual, whatever that means. Pan is everything, right? A pansexual. She's everything that, sexual. That prefix pan, right? Okay. Yeah, I think that's probably right. With child celebrities and stardom. Um, more than 25 Dead Sea Scroll fragments that were written 2,000 years ago have been released. Which means at this point, it's much easier to find pieces of the Bible than it is to retrieve Hillary Clinton's classified emails. And that's the headlines from the E! News update. We didn't have Dish here today to do it, so right. a little, little bit off on the rhythm there. Yeah. But we do have John Bike. John, let's really talk about why you're here. Why are you here? Well, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we got the, the Simple Green U.S. Open of Anvil coming up in a couple days. and Let's take a trip to Tucson. Well, the head referees got to make the rounds. And yeah, that's true. Hit the media. You're doing everything you can to nab all of those referees for that full round of 32 there. It's it's more of a challenge than ever this year because all the ref paying events are full. And mm -hmm. uh, most of our best referees are actually playing twice on Thursday. So it's, we might be calling on you. Well, I'm, I'm going to be on, on reserve for you. I'll be there. Hmm. And, From Catalina and, Island? or John, tell Dave... Who, where I placed him in the list of top referees, and let's not talk about that one referee. No, that, you you nailed it. You you had him on the, at the very top, except for the single worst call of indoor handball history. <laughs> Be right. Okay, so, so I, I thought I was trumped. No, that was outdoors. In the last, oh, not, after, not indoors. At the time, I have yeah. not seen an indoor call. Okay, <laughs> but <I'll, laughs> but who among us could could really outdoor, throw stones yes. in that case? Outdoor, yes. But indoor, no. <laughs> Indoor, outdoor, I don't think you'd be in the top ten if we counted those. I mean, there's there's some random calls going on out there. You have to be really bad outdoor as a ref to be good. You well, know I, what I, mean? I, I got a call in my one-wall match just a couple weeks ago. The uh, referee said I couldn't stand in front of the hash mark to return the serve. I looked mm -hmm. at the rule book. I took his word. He sounded very convincing. It sounded good it. when I heard it, too. Very convincing. And then I looked at the rule book, and I said, there's nothing here about this. Scene, no response. <laughs> Just like all the stories you write. <laughs> Sorry, is that? Yeah. Well, it's only 14 pages of Race Freight preview. If you clicked on all the links, probably more like 30. But I did get one like on that. So That's I want to thank that one person out there. I think you liked your own stuff. John, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, just that like phenomena, that David Fink life phenomena. I've actually, I've never seen this before, that a, a comment to one of your posts got more likes and sub-comments <laughs> than your actual post. I mean, that, I truly have never seen that before. That's what I'm here to do. I'm an innovator. But you, I mean, you, you, you were, you, you got the ball rolling on I that. Did. You, actually, yeah. those are your likes as well. So it's all under. I, I don't count them, but yeah. I, I do. Oh no, I don't. More views and more likes, more comments on the comment under your comment. Well, that would that would be the David Fink like tree. That's true. It's in, it's I, in the same tree. Yeah, it's all part of the branch. I mean, that's what you want is to create comments and likes and <laughs> all that amazing discussion online really blowing up let's talk about uh the u.s open dave and and, and john bike well john we we're gonna here. put you on the hot seat after that seven hour drive i know that you're focused on not only the referees but promoting this event but let's first talk about the four wall men's singles draw which is also race for eight six stop number one it'll be our 35th stop on the race 
for a tour dating back to 2011. The field's really wide open this year with the absence of Paul Brady, who's won the U.S. Open every year except for 2008 when he lost to Luis Moreno and 2011 where he didn't play. He's won every other match he's played there. We've got Killian Carroll coming into the U.S. Open. He's won the first two four-wall majors of 2016, the Nationals and also the Players' Championship. And then you've got top five stars, Sean Lenning, Mondo Ortiz, Luis Moreno, and former champion Robbie McCarthy. And, of course, there's other guys. There's Charlie Shanks. There's Emmett Pichot. John, who's your favorite? Well, actually, every name you mentioned there, the way I see the game right now, with, with Brady being absent, every single one of those players have an A game capable of beating any other player. You know, so it's it's who who's going to impose his will the best. And my my favorite guy right now is probably Killian Carroll. Tough to always be peaking and at your best for every one of these stops. And he seemed to be that in spring, early summer, winning the Players' Championship in the Nationals. And, you know, it takes a while to, and you would know this, John, having won world titles and national titles and pro stops to kind of recharge yourself and be ready for that next major. Right, and and even though Paul's not here, he might get as many mentions as anybody in the field because, I mean, I, that's part of what made Paul so amazing. This We're going to see what Killian does now. Everything you just mentioned coming off such a phenomenal run late last year, you know, does Kenny validate it? Does he have that intensity? It's We kind of took it for granted that champions do that because of Paul Brady most recently, and uh, now it's Killian's turn to see, see what he can do. Well, the now. draws were released today, and Killian Carroll is the three seed, and he's going to be playing into Mondo Ortiz. Couldn't you say kind of the same about Mondo, that if he is in shape and if he's really thinking about this tournament, he's the guy that is the one to beat in this tournament if he's the inch remember what he did last year i mean in that doubles mm-hmm. he didn't play singles well at all but in doubles he was probably the best we've seen in in many years well he lost 21 2 21 5 to paul brady in singles yeah. and then it was like he flipped the switch in that second game against robbie mccarthy and Dermot nash after he lost the first game he and vic perez were down 10 1 the second game it just looked like sort of a routine walk for mccarthy and and nash going into the final Mondo caught fire, single-handedly carried his team into the final there, winning the second and third games easily after being down 10-1. Then they win the, the finals against Paul Brady and Emmett. But you mentioned Killian Carroll going into Mondo. Killian Carroll's got to get past Emmett Pichot first. Yeah, and Mondo has to get past Charlie Shanks. And, uh, you know, Emmett and Killian Carroll have had very close matches in the three years that they've been playing one another. You remember that match in New Orleans, John. I know you do. Emmett winning the first game 15-0. Leading 13-9 to in the third game and losing 15-13. Lost 15-13 in the second game as well. And then he did beat him in Houston in the playoffs. So they're, I think, similar games. And I think that's a 50-50 matchup. Yeah, I agree. I, there's really cool matchups going on. I'll let you continue your list. We'll come back and look at these matchups okay. a little bit later on. John, of course, not only four-wall at the U.S. Open, but we've got the outdoor, the three-wall, big ball, the one-wall, big ball. You've been spotted at several WPH outdoor events the last few years outside of the U.S. Open, so we know that you're a huge fan of the outdoor game. Samson Hernandez has never lost at the U.S. Open. A lot of people may not know that. There's been three three-wall big ball singles events starting in 2013. He's won all three of them. But the machine has not been in good form this season. He did win the first stop, the four-wall big ball stop in Stockton, but since then hasn't looked like himself. Juan Santos is number one. He's got three singles titles this year. Boxer Rosales is trending after a sensational Vegas run, and Alfredo Morales is very dangerous. How do you see, John, the men's three-wall singles playing out this week? You know, the best thing for that would be to, for Sampson to somehow regain the fire and uh, find that form and get himself up there. But based on this year, maybe, maybe this comment, I know these guys really react strongly to haters. Yeah. I've, I've seen several references to that, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, Samson has amazed me every year he's been at this site, but no way this year. It's, it's not going to be him. You know, we saw Samson get blown out in the finals of Vegas 2013 and just really couldn't do anything. Four weeks later at the U.S. Open, he crushes Juan Santos to win the tournament. Right, and I, I actually made a similar comment to that last year, and it wasn't as well publicized, but he must have got wind of it, and I, I'm going to give myself the credit for that, that win he had. <laughs> He seems like a different guy at the U.S. Open. There's just the way he walks and the way even his just facial expression 
as he's walking to the courts looks different. And is maybe it, he'll is it just me that. that when he comes to the OC as being an LA guy, he wants to put on a show in the L, in the OC? Is that is that something? He told me, John, that if he said actually he was so confident, I'm going to win the trophy and I'm going to give it to you. And I thought, well, first of all, I've never heard a player say that, <laughs> and and I I, I love that, uh, you know, but. I said, yeah, okay, man, you know, congratulations, you know, good luck. Then he came back and said, hey, I'm not joking. I'm going to give you that trophy. This is a big deal to me. I'm coming back. This is my this is my show. And I thought that was cool. Again, I go, well, I'm going to root for you, obviously, and, which we do anyway because we like the guy. Right. And then he came back again and said, uh, hey, I'm in the tournament now, and just, just remember, I'm going to give you the trophy when I win. <laughs> so, um, you know, he's never said – I've never had anybody ever say that, that they're going to give me the trophy, but – um, it's interesting that he's adamant that he's winning this and that he's going to go for you know winning every year that it's been there. So well, well, I thought about two things while you were saying that. First of all, all four of the names you mentioned are high-character guys. You could easily make a great argument for rooting for any of them. Mm-hmm. But if someone was giving me the trophy, that would put me over the <laughs> I edge. Pretty much, I, those trophies are hot. I mean, if yeah. I ever wanted to have a, one of those big... Yeah, we've seen them. I'll post it on the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want one of those, so yeah, I am I am rooting for him. But of course, that doesn't. I think maybe he was trying to say seed me better, or yeah, he's going to get the number one seed no matter what. So, well, you I, know, you mentioned it. Samson got into the tournament very late. I mean, there was only about four spots remaining. One, one left. One, one remaining. One after I, him. I looked at it with twenty eight players and didn't see his name, and I thought, well, I guess he's sitting this year out. That's why he wasn't included in any of the previews. And at the very last minute, the eleventh hour, he got in, and maybe. Maybe that'll be, you know, all he needs to do. Gets himself in the draw, and that's enough to give him the motivation to return to his great form. Uh, the second thing I thought of while Dave was talking, I, I don't get this about athletes, but it's a, it's a phenomenon that's definitely true. I mean, you, you say in theory, well, you should always be maximally motivated. Right. You should always be yeah. giving your best. Yeah. But there are definitely people who psychologically just go to another level under the right circumstances, and he's proven himself to be one of those people. Well, you remember Tiger Woods in the match play years ago played Stephen Ames, and Ames said, well, where he's hitting the ball, I think I've got a good chance. And Tiger took that as a slight because he was hitting his driver everywhere. He went out and beat him 9-8, and eight, the worst right. beating you can give somebody. And you think to yourself, why don't you just do that every time you go out there? I mean, just go out and shoot 29 every single time. You seem like you wanted to do it, so you did it. But yet, it's like you said, that extra motivation that comes from a hater or some sort of perceived slight. The only thing I'll say about that, and in our private discussions, usually it's me closer to being the one defending Tiger, but that quote from Tiger about being motivated, that would have meant a lot more to me if he had said it before the 9-8. Mm. Like, afterwards, you can say, oh, yeah, yeah, I was pissed. Like, right. what, what if it was if it was 2-1, he wouldn't have had the opportunity to make that quote. Right. I mean, but, if a guy is going to say it, like, I like what Samson's doing. This mm-hmm. is mine. I'm right. going to come back and show you. He's saying it before the tournament. Tiger said boo before the match and then once he's done the work oh yeah yeah i was fired up Mm. that's a good point john we brought up uh, a little bit earlier that you are the head referee at the u.s open charged with assigning the best referees throughout the week in all the four wall matches which is no small task even for a hall of famer talk about the challenge and you mentioned (laughs) it just a little bit of trying to because to each player their match is the most important match they've right. ever played. So you as a referee, and you being a former great player, know that feeling. So even though, well, this is a round 32 match, it, it's not that big a deal. But to that player, oh, yeah. it is. No, so you, you take you, it very seriously. So you know as a referee, I've got to try and put the best possible person in this spot because I don't want this match to be decided by you know an incompetent ref. And it's especially challenging this year because, I mean, the overwhelming majority, unlike any other sport that exists, very, very much the, the best referees are the other top players. It's, it's a very unusual situation. Like, even myself, I was considered a top referee in the time, and things are going too quickly for me. You would think, oh, let's have a nice 50-year-old man in charge here. Like, the tennis referees seem to be about that age. Yeah. But I'll defer. The kids in, in the fray right now, yeah. they're, they're the better refs, yourself included, kid. And, you know, what's interesting is <laughs> the guys who are playing, you know, they, they can't be refereeing in between that's, matches. Even. They have to eat and they have to recover. And, exactly. Uh, it, becomes a, it becomes a difficult situation. So appreciate you talking about that. But, you know, you spend your weekend working as the head referee. You do a lot of broadcasting with us, we hope, uh, this week and Absolutely. ensuring that the event's running smoothly. So you don't really have a lot of time to sit back and enjoy the event. Having said that, 
What's your highlight that you look forward to and that you've experienced every year at the Simple Green U.S. Open? Well, actually, it's all relative. I, I feel like I have loads of time now because it's two years since I've played. I was truly frazzled and at, at the last my last wit when I was trying to play as well. And to me, just finding reps and broadcasting, that's, that's I mean, it's one-third of what you two do. So, In the last few years, as a player at the Simple Green U.S. Open, up until two years ago, as you just mentioned, you played in the men's four-wall pro doubles, which is often the most exciting division in the event this year promises to be no different with defending champions Mondo Ortiz and Vic Perez teaming up once again they're the number one seed Sean Lenning and Marco Chavez the national champions the Cordova brothers first time team Killian Carroll and Emmett Pichot and a number of other great teams what is it John about the four wall doubles that electrifies the crowds and the broadcast viewers each year first of all the teamwork aspect the, the players are much less inhibited about celebrating and pumping each other up and and then just the quality of shots like what mondo did last year that's that's phenomenal you got to beat two guys with your best shot to, to win every single rally and he, he actually made that look easy last year and that's that's what that's why fans watch who's gonna who's gonna be that guy this year and it, you know it just seems like the rallies are so incredible you've got sometimes three or four guys diving on the same point and shots that would have never come back in singles are now coming back and it, for some reason, doubles seems to be the great equalizer where a player may not be at the same level as another guy in singles, but in doubles, you see these really close matches, upsets, yeah. great tiebreakers. I remember watching some of your matches, John, playing with Whitey Dog, your good friends. You guys had some amazing matches in the doubles, even as 40-somethings. Yeah, you, you just try and adrenaline wipes out that age gap, you know, until the next day you feel it. But in that moment, in that time, you can get each other fired up and... You say, hey, we got a puncher's chance. Let's let's keep punching. What does it mean to you to have all of your family involved in this great event, donating their time to the sport that you love so much? Yeah, it's just amazing, and, and it's going to another level this year. It's it's every name you mentioned, and uh, Nadi's Nadi's oldest daughter, Marissa, now lives in Oregon. We only see her a couple times a year, and the last time we saw her it was because she announced her engagement, and uh, they're going to be down here for this one. So it's we're just Spreading, the, spreading that tree even further out now. Well, we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit in our last question as you're on the hot seat still. You started your playing career playing against all-time greats, your father-in-law, Nadia Alvarado Sr., Fred Lewis, and Vern Roberts. In your prime, you faced Dave Chapman, Vince Munoz, Tati Silvera, Nadia Alvarado Jr., as well as so many other great players. And then as your career was winding down, still as a top player, you faced Paul Brady and Tony Healy. And as a 40-something you played in some race for eight events, qualifying, oldest player to ever qualify, and you played a lot of the top guys in the game at that point. You beat every name on that list and all the names I didn't mention. How is the game and the playing styles of the players today different, and how has the game changed since you broke onto the tour about 30 years ago? That's that's a, that, I, I was loving that question, and I was wondering where it was going to end up. And uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say from watching... It's, it's a kind of hedging a bet here. I'm not, I'm not going to be the crusty old veteran saying we were better. I, I can't say they're clearly better now. The, the, the thing I notice that dictates the style of play and why things are different now is just I watched two matches, two of my first matches with Nadi Sr., and I'm winding up to take a full swing, just to fist the ball to the ceiling. And we didn't think of the ball as dead at that time, but compared to what I see now, it's, it's like the ball is dictating what these guys have to do now and it's phenomenal to watch that they can do it so it's 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 the most exciting version of handball i've ever seen is happening right now but you give Nadi senior that ball to serve i mean what, what's he going to do with it he's he'd be equally exciting yeah i think in some ways it's it's hard to compare the errors because of what you just said the ball and you see that in tennis how can you compare borg to Federer, right. Nadal, because you've got these strings the... now and you've mm -hmm. got these frames and the, you're able to hit with so much more topspin and maybe the technological advancements are more, you know, pronounced in tennis. But, but you know, the ball is the one thing that we have in handball that mm -hmm. that can change. And it, it does seem like it's changed. And I know even from when I broke onto the tour 20 years ago, it's completely different. So I, I don't know if that – you said it makes the game more exciting, maybe a little bit more one-dimensional. Some ways. It's, but I, I'm just saying as a, and I, in all sports, I'm just looking for entertainment. You know, I don't, and I'm not denigrating 20 ceiling shots in a row. There's some people entertained by that, 
but I find myself in every sport I watch. I, I want sports as entertainment to me. I want adrenaline. This, this is what I want to see, and, and this makes it possible for eight different guys to have the type of A game that is unbeatable at times. Okay, to me, that's exciting. A, a purist would say, well, I want the guy who put in the most time and is the smartest and worked the hardest, and that's fine. I'm not saying anything wrong with that. But when I'm watching for entertainment, what we have right now is, is, is what I like. You're off the hot seat. Thank you very much for that was tough for sitting <laughs> through the hot seat. And I know we got some amazing answers. I was looking forward to, to just hearing your response, and I'm sure that all of our viewers or listeners will enjoy them as well. Yeah, that's good stuff. Hey, John, uh, taking a quick look at the brackets, they were just released today, and I didn't anticipate this happening, but I think let's just go down down them really quickly. Sean Linning's the number one seed. He's going to play into Marco Ojeda. Sean Linning would then go into uh, either Ryan Buller or Eric Torres. That's the one, 16 versus 17. Buller and Torres is going to be a good match, possibly the match of the tournament in that round of 32. Well, let's talk about those guys and how they match up against Lenny. Eric Torres is a really impressive player, and I expect him to make his mark on the race for eight this season, if not at the U.S. Open, at some point during this season because he's so talented and he's so smooth and he's so level-headed. He's actually become my, my new favorite player on the tour. I played him for the first time in Las Vegas, and I was so impressed. And you know, Dave, if he gets by the Canadian bulldog, Ryan Bowler, and that should be a good match. He's given Sean Lenning very good matches in the past. In fact, took Sean to a tiebreaker three times in three-wall, which is Sean's best game. So that could be a very interesting round of 16 match if those two collide. Dave, you're seeded number nine. You would be going up against the number eight seed, Daniel Cordova. I don't recall you guys playing in a main court match last year. I, I think you played in a in a playoff match once. We've never played. We've okay, played so that's going to be in interesting. A, right. Danny Cordova... He was trending a couple years ago and obviously did well enough to get into the top eight on in the rankings. He's been an elite eight for a while. John, where do you see that one going? I I think, I mean, the, actually it's an odd situation. The veteran player, in my opinion, has more upside here. It's, it's kind of going to be how what game does David Fink bring to that match. If we look down just a little bit, Robbie McCarthy, number five seed, is going to uh, face, I believe, uh, Vic Perez in that round of 16, that could be a stunner for Robbie only in the sense that he's coming off that 60 by 30 year. So that he's going to have to try to get into the court and acclimate himself. Now, Robbie is always one of these guys that hasn't been highly appreciated, but he really should be as one of the elite players of the game. So you can't just walk past him and say, Vic's going to beat him. But I'm, I'm just saying that it might be a little bit uh, closer than what others uh, might suggest ahead of time. Well, Robbie McCarthy has the second highest winning percentage in the history of the Rays Freight Tour. 89% wins. He's never finished outside of the top five in any race event that he's entered. He's the only person to have done that. And I look at this as being a bad draw for both guys because Vic Perez looked really good at the end of last season. You remember he made the quarterfinals at Salt Lake City, a big win against Killian Carroll there. He follows that up by beating Emmett Pichot. Right in the first round of the Players' Championship. But that was after taking almost the entire season off for work responsibility. So he's coming in here with a lot of confidence. I know that was a few months ago, but still, Vic Perez is a very dangerous guy. And, uh, you know, I know talking to John, uh, you know, off the air, you said, John, you played some 60 by 30 when you were over in Ireland. That'll get you really fit for anything. And so at the very least, Robbie McCarthy is going to be fit. Yeah, and I think if you dug deeper into that 89% stat, I think you would see that his results at this tournament are, are higher than that. Right. That he's, They're padding the stat, and, and he does it after 60 by 30 every year. He's one of just two players in the men's four-wall draw that has won this tournament before, the other being Luis Moreno. Yeah, speaking of Luis Moreno, he's going to go into Steve Cooney. I see Luis advancing there. That would put Luis Moreno up against Robbie McCarthy in the quarters. Um, wow. You know, I, I'm advancing past that Steve Cooney because I do know that there's some inside scoop that he uh, strained his arm the other day. He's still going to make the, the plane and still going to play, but that shoulder is, uh, is, is bothersome to him. Yeah, that's unfortunate for Steven. He's been struggling with that shoulder injury for about six months, and uh, too bad. He said he was feeling really good, and all of a sudden something happened. But we've had that situation happen before where – you say, well, I'm going to have to cancel my flight, and a, like a day later, it completely almost feels healed. So uh, expect him to put on a fight, and he yeah. has competed well against Luis Moreno in the past. 
Uh, Moreno then would have to go up against Robbie McCarthy. That's going to be the, wow. a really interesting match in the quarterfinals if it does play out that way. That would be on Friday at 1230. Uh, in the upper quarters, if everything holds true, it would be Daniel Cordova versus Sean Lenny or, or, your, or yourself, Dave. <laughs> But depending on which game he brings, does he does he love the indoor game enough to bring his A game? <laughs> does does he? That's the big question. Getting back to that Luis Moreno Robbie McCarthy match, those two met in the semifinals last year. It was one of the best matches right. of the season. Eleven nine tiebreaker yeah, for it was fun. Moreno, and th- there were some really close calls. And we remember McCarthy went straight from the handshake to the broadcast van, where he was inspecting every short call. He was in there for about 25 minutes. Yeah, there was one play he thought was actually short, but it wasn't. It right. Was, he thought it was two inches short. It was about five inches over. But that was an amazing match. Yeah, that, that's yeah generally when my referee's word is up against the players, the, the ref is proven correct. Killian Carroll is going to go up against what seems to be either Abraham Montijo or Dalton Beal. Let's talk about Dalton Beal and Abraham Montijo. That, that could be one of those 16, 17 seeds. Instead, it comes out to be... A 14-19 seed with Abraham with the higher seed. Is, is Dalton's a, pretty darn good. Yeah, very good player. Is that a 10 a.m. match? Because that's going to need the best ref available. Yeah, that, that, that that's 11-15. Okay, I got that one covered then. And Dalton then, Beal had his race rate breakthrough at our last stop, the Players' Championship. But we've took known out. about him for years being good. And I remember Abraham even once saying that this guy's going to be great sometime. And mm. and they were close back you know, three or four years ago. Yeah, I expect that one to be close. That's going to be exciting. You remember Abraham played Killian Carroll at the Nationals a few years ago, gave him a very good match, actually had a 6-4 to four lead in the tiebreaker before losing that. So if Abraham does advance there, I'm sure he'll be looking forward to playing Killian. Another real tough one is right below that. One of your close friends, John, Danny Bell, going up against John Iglesias in the opening mm-hmm. round of 32. Hope you've got a good rep for that one. <laughs> <laughs> you to say this on everyone. John is one of these players, very crafty, and he could pick off like he did uh, Luis Moreno in, in Salt Lake City. He could beat a guy like that, but we've also seen him lose matches. Danny, on the other hand, we saw him in Texas a couple years ago, and he was rolling before he, uh, what I think was a strain of his, uh, his groin. What was it? Do you remember that? Oh, it was a serious, I believe it was a calf. And then he was, yeah, he was well on track to qualify, looking really look, good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be a fun one to watch as well. Emmett Pichot is the sixth seed. He would play into either John Iglesias and Danny Bell, and then past that, Pichot goes into Carroll. And uh, that's going to be an interesting one in the quarterfinals. If the seeds hold true, of course, that would be Friday at 9.30 in the morning. Carroll and Emmett. Now, we're talking about Robbie McCarthy and, and Luis Moreno being a great matchup. But, I mean, how can you not look past wanting to buy a ticket to watch Killian and Emmett Pichot play in the quarters if it, if it happens? That's going to be a great one. And, you know, Emmett has had some success against Killian. Just one win in the Houston playoffs last year, but a very near win in New Orleans last year in a first-round match. Bad luck for both guys as Killian had to qualify there and drew Emmett there in the first round, overcame some big deficits to win 15-13 in the tiebreakers. Some amazing shots from Killian late in that match. I can remember him down 10-13 and going for a, 38-foot kill with his left hand on Emmett's serve would have made it 14-10 to 10 Emmett. He rolled it out, and he just scored those last five points to win that match. Emmett will be hungry for that one, and Emmett lost to Mondo Ortiz at the Washington pre-race event. 16-14 in a tiebreaker. Actually outscored Mondo there pretty significantly. He lost the first game 15-12, won the second game 15-4, and then lose the tiebreaker 16-14. So Emmett's playing good ball, and the winner of that match, Dave, Killian and and Emmett will go into most likely Mondo Ortiz. Yeah. Or Charlie Shanks. Charlie's going to mm. go. He's the number seven seed playing wow. up against Edgar Medina. Big, wow. The Big E from Phoenix, Arizona. Edgar, is if he's in shape for this and he entered early, which makes me believe he's actually thinking about the tour, is pretty dangerous. But Charlie Shanks does well at the U.S. Open. He's been in the finals a few times. And he's another guy very similar to what you were saying about Robbie McCarthy, John, mm. is that he puts this one on the calendar and he yeah. comes here and performs. And you, you, you really got to factor that into any analysis. You know, it, it's and this is the only tournament I see live every single year. I get a smattering of other ones. So in my mind, you know, Chanks and McCarthy are both amazing. Cause right. In the top three. Because they, they, always, they, they always come here to win. A couple of points there. Shanks versus Medina, Dave, could be the tallest combined match in history. I think hmm. before it was Shanks versus Nett, but Medina is about 6'8". Yeah, Medina's... I. I look up to him in, in multiple ways. Yeah. 
I know that I'm I'm tall enough to look eye to eye with Charlie Shanks, but when I look at Medina, it's like when you look at the redwoods, the general tree. You know, John, you stare up that and you just keep looking and looking. He's a big dude. We hammered a WPH flyer on that tree. We, we did on our actually. last road trip. We, we did do that for that. So the, that's about a bike tour. 155 inches of players in there, Shanks and Medina. Now, on another important note, Mondo Ortiz has never defeated Charlie Shanks. And talking to Charlie in the past, he said, you know, I try and peek for the big events, the ones I think are big. And I think that goes to what John says. He does always play weather, and he seems to play well at Lowe's Cab, where he's been in the finals of the Nationals there, Mm -hmm. finals of the U.S. Open, where he maybe should have won that final against Robbie McCarthy. Lost 11-9. You can always say, you know, you should have won when you lose that close. But that could have been his title. And maybe, you know, this year, who knows, with Mondo, I mean, he's, he's the kind of guy that sometimes he's unstoppable and other times he's not. Mondo Ortiz could have beaten Charlie Shanks. It was in Tucson, right. Arizona, right down the street from here, right. in a controversial call using instant replay. It was mm-hmm. misinterpreted by the referee, and and th- I think things could have changed just a little bit there. But they but played it, a couple weeks before that match in Tucson at the U.S. Open, and Charlie beat them badly in just yeah. two lopsided games. As we look down just a little bit further, one of the guys that's uh, another one of those unappreciated guys is Luis Cordova. I think he's playing really good. Right. He is going to go up against Brandon, Brandon Townsend. He's another one that we think that could qualify one mm-hmm. of these days in the round of 32 if and probably more like when Cordova does advance there, although that should be an entertaining match. He would go up against Charlie Shanks. I could see some people thinking that Cordova is going to either give him a great game or even possibly win one out of those three. Uh, I'm not sure if somebody's going to make the outright uh, predicament that Cordova's going to beat Shanks. I will. Are, you're making that? Yeah. Yeah, just did. Cordova coming off a win against Sean Lenning about a month ago. Playing really good ball right now, and I think that's a good matchup for Luis, who just seems to be incrementally improving. You wouldn't look at him and say, wow, he's so much better than he was last year, but as a player on the tour, watching him, he's doing little things each event and each season that are making him just a little bit better. Better serves, a little bit better left, better back wall, and I think all that's going to add up to a, a big season for Luis this year. Uh, just below that, it's Shorty Ruiz, and he is going to go up against Peter Function. That mm. that'll be entertaining. Yeah. If all of these, if Shorty goes on to win that, he's a past qualifier. He would then face Armando Ortiz, and uh, who is the number two seed in the men's bracket. And that's kind of you know just a rundown of what we see in the indoor four wall. Now we can keep it going further, but uh, I'd like to move on if we could. Let's let's go ahead and take a quick gander at the women's bracket. Now, I know that Ashley and Riley is the, the number one seed and uh, Katrina Casey's number two because yeah. Ashley won last year and the Martina right. McMahon would be number three. And that, that's a big, big difference being the number one and number two seed because Katrina's ranked number one, but U.S. Open rules stipulate that the defending champion is the number one seed. So Martina McMahon could have run into Ashley and Riley or Katrina in the semifinals. Instead, it's going to be Katrina Casey who's seated second. So much more difficult, on paper at least, semifinal matchup for Katrina, who just lost to Martina McMahon in the 60 by 30 All-Ireland Championships. Katrina was going for five in a row there and lost 21-10 in a third game for that title. Remember a few years back, Ashley Moeller defeated Martina McMahon, and it kind of shows you how far and how quickly Martina has developed into this really good 40 by 20 player. They're actually going to get a repeat visit Mm. as I look at the bracket. Ashley Moeller is the sixth seed. Martina McMahon is the three seed. So in the quarters, they if everything holds true, they will play each other once again in the semis if everything holds true. And then Ashley and Riley would face either Aoife McCarthy or Tracy Davis. That's a good match. Which I think every time they play, it's always good. That's so a, Yeah, that's a very close matchup. So that's kind of a quick rundown of indoor four wall. Let's go outside really quickly and look at the men's big ball. This, again, is a huge draw. 32 players. Number one seed goes to Samson Hernandez, who claims that he's not going to lose his title. And then Juan Santos is the number two seed. Thrown in between all of that stuff, Chava Cordova is the number four seed. He's a a rising star, as is uh, Alfredo Morales, who's the number three. But don't you kind of look down the bracket and say, where is Boxer Boxer, uh, Rosales at? What number is he? Who is he going to go into? Because he seems to be the X factor here. A guy that can do pretty much anything. Well, it's it's interesting. I think the Samson Hernandez is the X factor. He's the number one seed. He's the three-time defending champion. But we don't know what to expect from him. He's gone on record to say that I'm winning this tournament. I'm going to donate my trophy back to the WPH Man Cave. 
But how can we expect him to win after what we've seen in the last couple of months from him? And then, of course, X-Factor 1A is Boxer Rosales. Boxer, it would actually, into the round of 16, go up against Kevin Gonzalez, who had a pretty good year. The lefty is playing pretty darn good. Now, some say that Boxer Rosales doesn't even use his left hand. He's an all-righty player. He'll go off the court and use his right instead of using his left. He's an incredible athlete. But then on the other hand, you've got Kevin, who (laughs) is a lefty, who would have to try to force his left-handed shots to go back out that left left, uh, wall, the left side door. They won't be seeing much of each other in that I, I match. Don't think so. Box will be out the court to the left. <laughs> right. Kevin will be out. It's like uh, when you play golf and one guy's a slicer and one guy's a hooker. They're not going to see each other until the green. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting thing there, John. Dave talked about it earlier that you're kind of becoming a fan of the outdoor game. It, what is it about? Not just you, but the whole family has kind of adopted that. Nadia Alvarado Senior has these courts in his backyard. He's uh, he really loves it as well. You guys play a lot of family vacations on those outdoor big ball courts at Naughty's Place there, where you guys live. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, the, the sport is, has grown enough on its own. It doesn't need my endorsement as well. But yeah, we, 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 right now, the Alvarado family is playing more outdoor big ball and indoor small ball. That's, and the why, I, I just, I mean, it's, it's fun. I don't. Yeah, it I, is I fun, isn't it? A, yeah, it's kind of one of these interesting. I just, I just things. like, I, I can't tell you what's in my head. I just go with my heart. And if you said, let's go play indoors, no, let's go play outdoor big ball first. I mean, outdoors is a big part of it, but I, I don't. It's strange. I don't want to sell out the sport that the version of the sport that I was had the most success in. But just right now, for having fun, this this is what I like. Yeah, I think it's also kind of a neat challenge, too, because when you do go in there and try to play it for the first time, you say, wow, this is this is fun. You know, I think the novelty aspect of it's great. But also, as a spectator, I know a lot of people travel to come watch these guys play because there is a certain sense of energy that's different than what you yeah, see. Yeah, well, that's indoor. a separate question. If you're asking, yeah, I'm playing it not not like... Oh, you're not being competitive it? at it when you play it, but you're having fun when you're playing it. It's Well, there's two separate questions. At the top level, it's... It's it's that added energy of a really intense crowd. But if you're asking me just why do I play, it's it's, right. it's just fun. Like I remember when I was when the very first, I was in the USHA office 20 years ago, and people were talking about big ball, and all small ball guys put it down like checkers and chess, and that's absurd. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first of all, I just being the contrarian I am, I went against that and said, "Well, just give it a try." and going nowhere with this but <laughs> no I'm, I'm wanting to hear where yeah. it goes after that because I, I but, agree with you no I, I, so so I, I wanted to try it partly because people were people into our players had a bad attitude about it eventually well we can get them to play big ball and then they'll realize and come inside but that's right big ball yeah. its own thing now right. and it's as I say in our family it's actually surpassed it yeah it's kind of interesting it has its own appeal that that people are actually wanting to play it as opposed to saying let's put them in big ball first and bring them indoors well, I think what's interesting is John mentioned checkers and chess, and I think a lot of people sort of had that mentality. But you see now that the big ball players have more success crossing into small ball than the small mm-hmm. ball players do crossing into big ball. So it's the opposite of checkers and chess. Actually, it's almost like the small Our ball small is ball the checkers. checkers exactly. when 20 years ago, you've never thought that. But we've seen Juan Santos and Alfredo Morales and some of these guys play small ball, and it's like, oh, my gosh, you're one of the top players in the world mm-hmm. right now. You know, outdoors at least, indoors probably top 30. You wouldn't be able to say the same about most small ball players playing big ball. Well, thank you for succinctly summarizing yeah. what I was trying to get my head around. Well, that's what he's here for. That's why we pay him the big bucks. Yeah. Dave Sink is what we call him. Got to talk about the um, the women's one-wall big ball singles open. Uh, that's probably the division I'm excited about most. Yeah, I think. Dan, excuse me, Sandy Ng is the number one seed because right. she won last year. Daniel Daskalakis is number two. Number three, Karen. Number four would be Veronica Ruiz, uh, excuse me, Figueroa. Five is going to be Jenny Q. But that's that's the one that you highlight on your scorecard, Jenny yeah, Q. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, she's, she's, I, I can't believe how good this girl. John, if you're going to do one thing, make sure you go check out Jenny Q. Can't be more than 90 pounds. Wow, and that's that's kind of opposite from what I've seen in that event. You know, I saw her play in a 
in a doubles exhibition at the NYC Junior WPH Junior Showdown. Jenny played doubles with Danielle. Hard to kind of get a great feel just watching her play one game of doubles. But starting in Vegas, she was there on Wednesday, and she was just playing practice games, and people are just turning their heads. Like, what is – I can't believe this. Yeah, who is this girl? Who is this? And I said, well, you know, she carried that game into her matches against Danielle in the semifinals and Sandy in the finals. She outscored the two world champions 50-26. to 26. Really wasn't even that close. Yeah. 25 I mean, amazing. 25-10 to 10 against Sandy Ng and or, – or, excuse me, Daniel Daskalikas. Yeah. 25 to 16 against Sandy Ng. She was amazing. I've noticed stepping outside of my comfort zone here, but what I see of singles, one wall, God, I mean, speed is everything. You right. watch Timbo, mm. it's the most yeah. exciting part to watch, and it seems to be the most valuable skill as well. Yeah, the only problem for Timbo is that he can't enter all the divisions that he's so good at playing. I mean, he wants to be in that three wall, big ball singles, but because he does doubles, three wall, and singles, one wall, that, those are the only two he can enter. We'd love to see him play in the three wall singles and be one of those X factors. He's ranked number two in WPH Outdoor, but he's seated number one. He's the defending champion of the one-wall singles mm-hmm. at the U.S. Open. He, like Samson Hernandez, has never lost a singles match at the U.S. Open. 2014-2015 champion of the one-wall. 2014 was the year one-wall was introduced at the U.S. Open. I just don't see how he'd ever lose. I really don't. He. This would be the year if it were to happen due to that injury that he got in Vegas, but he just won a, a big tournament this weekend. In, in New York. But it's interesting. Timbo did not have a good year in the New York City majors, in the one-wall big ball right. majors. He lost to Taiwan at the Nationals, I believe, and he lost to Rookie in the King of the Court. But it, there wasn't anything that could make you think he could lose watching him in Vegas. Right. No, I mean, he, There was just no possible was a, way he could lose he was the way he was playing there. Completely different level there. But I, I believe the tournament that he just won this past weekend was the front ball tournament, a oh. sport he does not play. Mm. They had some of their best players come over to New York, and he walked right through that, mm. um, but did bruise his hand. Yeah. As he said, the ball is the kidding a baseball, which we, we know already. So the U.S. Opens at the end of the week. I do want to make this announcement that ESPN and the Watch ESPN app, it'll be Channel Three, so that's ESPN three. So when you go onto the Watch ESPN app, you it's it, going to be kind of confused at the beginning. You're not going to know where to look. Look for channel three. That's what they call it. So it's ESPN three, and then watch the matches. We'll have the broadcast schedule up here, uh, I, either later today or it could be posted right now. As I know that we had a, a server issue earlier this morning, so that'll get up there on RaceForEight.com. Now. On race48.com, you're going to find something really cool. We've never done this at the U.S. Open. Mm. We're going to have an indoor feed and an outdoor feed, which will allow you to watch outdoor action one or three wall and also watch on ESPN and the Watch ESPN app at the same time on the same channel, on the wow. same page. So you can just mute the volume on one or both like most people would and <laughs> and just watch the action as it is on ESPN and uh, WPHlive.tv backslash live, which is racefreight.com. So that's going to be an interesting feature. I know Nadi's really into it. And, John, you're going to be into it as well because you're either going to be refing, coordinating the refing, or talking about the refs live on the air. And that's it. Those are your only three duties the whole weekend. <laughs> well, I'd like to say I, it sticks in my head from years ago, Nadi Sr. saying every year we add something new. And seems like you're having a bigger hand in assisting him and keeping that promise and this is what what, this is what you all have added this year the uh the the option the the different channels yeah that's congratulations on that thank you yeah i know he's really happy about it i guess he's probably more happy that he doesn't have to come up with that here's what we're doing that's new this year (laughs) that 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 was something yeah that needed to be uh, the, the decision making on which one match do we feature when there's so many good matches oh you guys executed that perfectly i no, I think it's he's going to be happy about that. I think the fans will be as well. So you're going to watch two things, indoor and outdoor, and, and you know, and every year. And I, I know we take it more personal than we probably should, but there's players that are upset that they're not featured when they're a featured player, and maybe their counterpart or their biggest foe actually is, and they're not. And, and in this case, we're going to have cameras on the the two main show courts plus the three main show court being that one wall. We're going to put a camera up on the three wall court, and it'll just toggle to one wall at the same time. Also going to have a live reporter there that will be able to go on and report the scores and even do split screen action and and you know try to keep everybody updated on ESPN so they can cross pollinate to get more viewers over on the other, over onto the other feed. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Right. Can't wait for that. I mean, that's going to be. Why would you even leave your 
your living room starting later this week. Well, you can watch both of these feeds on right. your on your phone app. And I know that we've been talking to R2 Sports, and it looks like this is, might be the innovative thing that Naughty can claim as his own, that we might be able to get the feeds right on the R2 Sports app. Their, their developers are actually trying to make it available. So you can look at your bracket by downloading the app uh, from the Play Store or from iTunes or however you get your, your stuff download it and then you're able to look at the actual bracket there will be a little tv that's on the bracket you push it and it'll take it right to the live event that's happening you'll be able to watch it mobily wherever you go which means that the secondary feed plus espn's watch espn app will both be phone ready for all the major phones anything else you want to say to john before we close out episode 10 well it's great having a hall of famer here it's probably the first time we've ever had a hall of famer and it's a, it's a privilege no thanks guys i'm just like i say we're always moving forward and i'm just happy to be a part of it as much as i can let's end the program with a little bit of this stand-up hilarity here's frank caliendo you don't realize how important a voice is till you hear the wrong one in its place there's a reason they use the voice of james earl jones as darth vader in star wars and not a guy like al pacino right no, because this doesn't work. Luke! Come to the dark side. So we can rule the universe as father and son! I can't breathe in this thing. And I'm too stinking blind. Hoo-ha! Listening to the Sports Radio Cast with hosts Dave and Dave. Whether it's live filming, the Race for Eight professional tour, junior handball development, coaching, and mentoring, or event planning, the World Players of Handball has you covered. The WPH Live TV crew is sinking the time, effort, and energy into growing the game of handball on a grassroots level with a focus on mass media attention. Since 2014, the WPH has aired over 20 tournaments on ESPN and the upcoming season will also be filmed on the network. Junior WPH is flourishing as the WPH has a full-time development director and coach on staff and a department of instructors that will train, mentor, teach, and introduce handball to over 5,000 new recruits and junior athletes before year's end. Thank you for assisting the group that sees a very bright future for the game of handball. Without your donations and membership support, the WPH would not be where they are today. The WPH is a 501c3 nonprofit foundation. Please encourage others in your area to support, donate, volunteer, and give. Visit the WPH website at wphlive.tv or go to thehandballstore.com to purchase your player's card membership.